Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Today, we're going to learn about some best practices in converting your audience into subscribers. A newcomer in this space is The Audiences, a media publication writing about top news organisations' reader revenue strategies. In doing this, it's picked up a number of tips and tricks along the way. In particular, it's been finding a lot of joy with what it's calling a registration wall. Think paywall, but instead of getting out your wallet, you're handing over an email address. We're talking to the editor-in-chief Madeline White about how they've been tweaking on a strategy which started off as pure content marketing and has evolved into a much more successful newsletter-first model. Stay tuned for some outside-of-the-box thinking with reader revenue and tips on what innovative publishers, both big and small, are doing well. Don't go anywhere. Madeline, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you ever so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. Um, I understand a little known fact about you, Madeline, is that you are a henna artist for the uninitiated. Tell us what that is and how you got into it. Um, so, yes, I um, do henna, which is a traditional... It's been in India. I think they use it a lot in Pakistan, a lot of countries around the world, mainly for weddings. Um, but I do it at festivals, usually around the UK. It's like a, a side job that I do. And um, I absolutely love it. I get to do henna on people's hands, their legs, wherever, um, chat to them and then enjoy the music in the evening at the festival. Um, but that's mainly in the UK. So I'm doing it a bit less at the moment. What do you love about it? Um, I guess the socializing and the art of it obviously um, my job is normal like normal job I mean (laughs) um, is sitting at a desk and a lot of thinking and um, art is very the opposite (laughs) I don't have to think I can just socialize and chat to people and do an art form that I love doing um, and then enjoy the atmosphere of the festival. It's really fun to be a part of the festival, um, be part of the people organising it, seeing behind the scenes, um, and then enjoying the music as well. Nice. What's the trickiest part of henna? Mm, I don't know. It becomes kind of thoughtless by the end because we have like a book of designs and Um, everyone chooses the same ones so I can do them with my eyes closed by the end Um, but um, I love doing huge designs Um, at the moment I'm doing a lot of like dragons and things like that which is quite fun on people's backs or across their arms Um, so I guess the trickiest thing is when people come to me with designs that aren't in the book Um, it's a little bit of a challenge but so many people come with ideas of a tattoo they want and then they want me to do it in henna first because it only lasts a week. Oh. Um, that's the thing. Um, Not as permanent. No, exactly. It's a good... Like, Enough time for the <laughs> potential regret to sink in and think, mm, maybe this isn't for me. They have a week to decide whether they want it for the rest of their life. <laughs> that's a good life lesson to go by. Thank you for that. <laughs> Madeline, why don't you tell us about your day job then instead uh, as um, head of international at Paul and editor-in-chief at The Audiences. Um, it's really the, the latter we're going to speak about most today, but why don't you tell us about really the purpose of the audiences and kind of the relationship those two, um, positions have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, a bit of context. Um, so I did a year abroad in 
Bordeaux when I was at uni and um, I had one free day of class a week so I found an internship and it was with Pool which is a membership and subscription suite and um, I was just a translator I had one day a week where I had to translate the website and help center from French to English and um, then I went back to the UK to finish studying and Covid hit and I didn't know what to do Um, and Paul came back to me and they were really keen to employ me full-time. So I was in charge of developing the blog. Um, we realized the value of a content marketing strategy and we were writing content that was trying to support digital publishers. So those are our clients um, to better convert and engage their readers. And the blog just kind of took off. It was really um, popular And um, we saw the value of producing content and sharing expertise in a way that was very operational. Um, There's a lot of content out there. And I think um, providing expertise in a way that is very much how to do something um, was a gap in the market. So um, this time last year, or maybe like April last year, um, we decided that we should go even further and launch our own media. Um, So we did this in quite a short amount of time. It was a bit stressful. Um, So we launched on the, I think, the 13th of October last year. And um, it's been a whirlwind since. Um, So we're less than a year old. We're owned by Paul. It's almost like a brand publication for Paul. And um, the goal of the audiences is to support digital publishing professionals to make better decisions when it comes to engaging, converting, and retaining their audiences. So um, we produce content that's very operational. So the exact how to do something. So we share best practices from a publisher, what they've done, the results they've had, and then how um, someone reading it can do the same thing. The decision-making, like how do you make better decisions to then present to the, um, like the board members? Um, And then inspiration, so like benchmarks. So I'd go around and I screenshot loads of paywalls and put it on a on an article. And it's incredibly popular because <laughs> it saves people time. Um, and we have a newsletter, which is every other week. Um, and this newsletter, so like I said, we're under a year old and we've got two and a half thousand subscribers um, to this newsletter who are all digital publishing professionals involved in audience development. It's amazing. It's very niche topic and audience but that's what makes it so great I think because we're really targeting this niche and hopefully helping them to be better at their jobs basically. You called it content marketing when you first set up the blog is it still viewed in that way or is it taking a different form a different life? It's very different um, especially well from my my point of view from our point of view the way we're trying to position it and I hope succeeding in that is that Content marketing is very much about we're sharing expertise and publishers reading us need the expertise, but they also need the tools. So the the two go hand in hand. However, brand publishing is slightly different because we're talking less about our brand. We're talking less about Paul as a technology and more about the type of problems that we help publishers to solve. So by sharing expertise um, through our content, Um, We're not saying that like every single reader, only our clients can read it, for instance. We're saying that we're sharing these expertise to support our clients and our future clients to be better at 
what our tool helps you achieve. That's right. I mean, I'm looking at the website right now. There's a piece here about the Washington Post. There's a piece here about Fortune. There's a piece here about um, a registration user acquisition strategy. It's more about promoting other best practices that you see in the in a, in a similar market, a similar sector. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it almost would do us a disservice to call the audiences content marketing because um, I really hope that anyone reading it is values the expertise as it is um, mm-hmm. as a publication in and of itself. How do you know that readers are going to then take that next step to pull after reading about the Washington Post or Fortune? Yeah, so um, we, I mean, we we try to find the balance of not hiding it. We don't want to like hide the the audience is owned by Paul. It's a hard balance to find actually, because we don't want to talk about Paul too much, but want to talk about Paul enough. <laughs> um, so we have a little tag at the end of the newsletter. Um, it says that Paul owns the audiences on our newsletter wall. Um, and our newsletter wall is implemented through Paul technology. Um, and then through content every now and again, like we, what's well, me writing it, I mention case studies from our clients, um, learnings that we've had from our clients or events that we're running. Um, Mm -hmm. We have a benchmark report, which um, we started releasing this year. It's um, incredibly valuable, but the benchmarks come from our clients. So that's naturally a promotion of pool. Great. Um, Why don't you tell us about your conversion strategy then, how you're getting not just people attracted to the site, but then also becoming some sort of commercially interesting, commercially relevant customer for uh, the audiences or indeed Paul? Yeah, so um, we have a newsletter strategy. That is our our main goal from the audiences. So um, we want to encourage people to sign up to our newsletter, um, which is obviously great for forming a habit, um, as well as coming back to our site to read more content. Um, So increasing frequency, recency and volume of visits. Um, so we have integrated a newsletter wall into our content. Um, we divide content into what could be considered as free and premium. Um, but the premium isn't paid for. So quote unquote free content is, um, written by external contributors. So we want to make sure that they get all the visibility they deserve. We want to make sure it's completely open. So those articles are not blocked at all. The quote unquote premium that are blocked by a newsletter wall are written by myself, Marion, or some who's the editor-in-chief of the French version, um, or one of the team. And um, what we do in that case is we offer one article for free, and then a reader is blocked on the second article. They're blocked by what we call a newsletter wall, where we ask someone to fill out the form and sign up to our newsletter in exchange for access to content, like, um, unlimitlessly. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes I can't speak English. <laughs> I, I should probably note here, I am the company is French. And I'm based in Paris. <laughs> and I don't think I can speak either language anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's compromised both of them uh limitlessly maybe limitlessly. is that the word you don't maybe going for um yeah so we did test blocking the first article instead of the second um but we found that conversion rates were lower when we did that and my thought process on this and the general um best practices in the industry is that you need to leave 
um, some content for the reader to become engaged before you block them. And if the first article that a reader lands on is an article written by one of our team, then it's going to be blocked. And that's not good. Then they haven't had a chance to engage in our content or see the value that we have to offer. And so be interested in, in signing up to the newsletter. And that's what conversion is all about. Succeeding in conversion is about balancing frustration and engagement. And if a reader is too frustrated, then they're just going to turn around and leave and find content elsewhere. If they're too engaged, well, you can't be too engaged, but if you're very engaged, then um, that's great, but you're not going to like monetize them as such. You're not going to be able to get value from them. It feels like a missed opportunity. If they're already super engaged, you maybe want to yeah. come in earlier with that proposition, mm-hmm. right? Because you know they would maybe sign up from the first instance, but that's not necessarily going to be the case for yourself if you're a newer publication with all due respect because you haven't had time necessarily to build that relationship and that loyalty exactly um yeah so after that test we block on the second article and our conversion rates are 25 percent average if i look at our results from may till today we try to regularly change the wall yeah um and update the design and um Every time we've done that, we've seen an increase in conversion rates. Interesting. The reason behind this is, you know, in advertising, everyone talks about ad- being blind to advertising. Uh-huh. If you have the same advertising campaign and, and you keep it the same for too long, then people just become blind to it. It becomes part of, part of the furniture, part of what you see in the street. Um, so why why do we not think in the same way for paywalls? Like you can get paywall blindness. So um, what many publishers are starting to do is regularly update their paywall to adapt it to I don't know summer so the different seasons to national events holidays Christmas um, sales Black Friday um, local elections anything that's happening locally in the community if you're a regional publisher Um, and this can take five minutes but it's just reminding yourself to do it Um, so we try to add like a note in the calendar to do this every now and again. So newsletters are the priority for the audiences. This, they found, is the best way to develop loyalty and habits amongst readers and ultimately turn them into pool clients. But clients also cannot be ignored and left out in the cold. It's recently started what it is unofficially calling the audience's premium articles, which are basically client-exclusive articles. One of those is a recent benchmark report, which is the best insights from the last quarter. This provides value for existing clients. The goal here is retention, not so much acquisition. It's a bold new approach to wall off non-clients, but Madeline says that there is an honesty to this approach. The audiences is a publication like any other that needs to monetize content and services. Another new tweak is to add author faces and testimonies to the registration prompts. Madeline's face appears alongside an ask to sign up as a more human touch to convince readers to subscribe. The early results look promising. Basically, we've seen so many publishers in the industry putting the face of a a journalist on the wall and that it's been really valuable because I think it gives a a face to the media. It makes it more human and um, relatable. And when you're asking for support, if it's a publication, a, a concrete noun or like a non animate noun that's asking for support, you're going to get um 
maybe fewer conversions than if it's an animate person or a person who's actually behind the work, who's putting the work in, in order to bring quality journalism, who's asking for support. And um, mm. yeah, seeing as I write the newsletter, I've, I'm on the English wall and then Marion's on the French wall. So we're bilingual and we have a French, French wall as well. And so we gave a little quote about what the newsletter is and why someone should subscribe. Um, and that's increased conversion rates. Do you, do you know how much by? So basically, I think the week when we increased, when we changed that, we had an average of 60% conversion rate, which is mad. I think that was just one day that really brought up the figures. I've got, so I'm doing day by day here. Yep. 43 for one of the days following, 32% conversion rates. Um, and the current test is that I've put um, a quote from someone very kind and lovely at the Washington Post. He reads our, our content and newsletter every week, and it's really nice. Um, he did a quote for us, and I've put that on, onto the wall. And so far in August, we've got 30%, um, 39, 30.93%. Which is above your benchmark, isn't it? You, you said your average was 25, 26%, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So it's a above average. Um, that testimony from the Washington Post, is, how much has that boosted things by? Do you know? Well, I think that that's the difference between the 25, I which see. is our average, and then at the moment we're averaging 30.9%. Um, nice. which is interesting considering we're in a what summer as well yeah how did you how did you wrangle someone from the Washington Post to give you that testimony <laughs> um I didn't wrangle anyone <laughs> no of course but you you understand that my my question here like what's the incentive for them to do it essentially it was Marion's idea um and right at the beginning it was her idea and I really I really value it um is that anyone who signs up to the newsletter um, we add them on LinkedIn Nice. and we send a little note saying hello and thank you for signing up. <laughs> um, so Marion does it for any people sign up to the French edition. What Manually. This um, is done manually, right? You, you yeah. see the person, you find them, you track them down and you send them a request. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, um, half the time I don't get a response, but people will add me. So I say, I think I say something along the lines of, um hi so and so um how are you thank you for signing up to the newsletter um always great to connect with others in the industry um feel free to message me with any questions or suggestions half the people will accept and not reply half the people will reply and some give me a response of um their current strategies like what they're working on at the moment um what they think of the newsletter. Um, some people are just like, yeah, great to connect, um, enjoying your content. And um, some people I even try to organize calls with. Um, I'm interested in them writing for the audiences or want to do an interview with them. And um, I did a call with a few people from the Washington Post, um, which was really interesting. As, as in you interviewed them? Well, Kind of half the time it's interviews, half the time it's just general discussions about the industry. Um, and um, the thought that they might be able to write for us in the future. What's, what's the deal with that, with the contributions uh, to write for the audiences? Mm-hmm. So it's people sharing their insights from within the industry, from their work. 
And um, I think everyone that's done it so far has really valued it for their personal branding, which I... What, what I mean is, is it voluntary? Do you pay them or is it just a voluntary contribution? Yeah, it's voluntary. Yeah. Um, and I think quite a lot of our writers, Lars, for instance, um, who is brilliant, his articles are amazing, if you haven't read them yet, um, he publishes it on a, his writing on his own blog. Right, so you're dipping into other people's networks, essentially. Yeah, and but vice versa as well. Um, yeah. I know that... Um, Leonard, uh, another writer for us, has like his podcast in German has really benefited from um, working with the audiences and vice versa. It works in both ways. I suppose, like us, you're in a bit of a vantage point where you're constantly looking at other, what other publishers are doing, um, absorbing their strategies, their you know sort of leadership thinking, their digital strategies. Have you um, taken anything personally from other publishers and? stolen them use them for your own any inspiration that you've found useful journal du dimanche um any french listeners know that i'm butchering the the french language (laughs) sunday something so it's like the sunday journal the sunday newspaper sunday times but french yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) um and um they were one of the first to employ like a newsletter ward on their content so content was divided into free and premium on their free content you had a newsletter wall on their premium content it was a paywall they were um converting readers into first newsletter subscribers and then paying subscribers um but then even further on their paywall they integrated payment into the paywall itself so they had a um sale offer and it was really reduced cost and um, so they were trying to catch people who were ready to subscribe just in that instant in order to read the article and catch them, get them into the subscription and then um, run them through them some some onboarding and um, get them engaged. And so you could pay and subscribe on the article. So they integrated a card field um, onto the form on the paywall and um, they had a countdown clock that counted down how many minutes or hours until the end of the sale. Sign up or we'll take away the offer. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. It's like 24, <laughs> ticking down. <laughs> they should have some like, music or something. It's a dra- dramatic like, <laughs> clock ticking down in the background. Fantastic. Um, that's, what, that's what works. I mean, you create a time restraint and... and People suddenly feel, oh, I need to do it now because otherwise it's going to FOMO works, right? Like Exactly, especially for these sales periods. And it was a temporary wall, so it was different design, um, the countdown clock, and then payment in the wall. And, and you could subscribe in a few clicks. And yeah, so um, they increased conversion rates by 40%, which was is very significant. Um, and yeah, I thought it was really innovative and I shared it on a in an article on Watchstone Publishing, and it was really popular. And it was kind of that that first article, first publisher that we shared that was a bit lesser known, especially well outside of France. I mean, um, and just realised the value of how 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 many more examples are there like that? Give us give us the name of the publisher again. Journal Dimanche was it? Dimanche. 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 I definitely need them that's for sure um okay leave our audience then with kind of the one trend that you're 
really paying close attention to right now? Uh, what's the one thing really on your mind that mm -hmm. you think any dig digital publisher, including yourself, should be paying attention to? Yeah. Um, well, anyone that's followed along with the audiences or anything I'm putting on LinkedIn will probably be bored of me saying this by now. <laughs> but registration. I think that it's not being valued enough by publishers or put in place enough um, because there are multiple reasons why it's valuable and it actually solves a variety of challenges for publishers. So um, there's a big focus on diversification or a lot of talk about diversification. You don't want to be reliant on just one revenue stream. You don't want to be um, reliant on just your subscribers or just advertising. And we know that any of them can suddenly be changed in an instant. We've had COVID, different like falling ad revenue, print revenue is falling, everything along those lines, and then the end of, of third-party cookies. So um, one thing that solves all of those challenges is registration. So when I'm talking about that, I mean converting anonymous readers into known readers so they're logged and every time they come on your site you know you can see what they're they're doing and you can um, assign all of their visits to a single user id mm -hmm. um so that obviously increases ad revenue because you're collecting data on this reader you understand who they are what they're interested in and um you can sell ad spots at a higher cost because they're targeted yep um, then it increases subscription because by registering, they are highly more likely to subscribe thanks to increasing their engagement with um, your newsletter. Um, they're more like more personalized content, for instance. So you know that they're signed up to your fashion newsletter so you can present more content that's linked to fashion. Um they are more likely to come more frequently, um, consume more content on each visit, um, have a basically a higher quality of visit each time. And to go even deeper in that, you can run them through an onboarding journey yeah. um, when they register, just as you would for a subscriber. So you can, they start to create an account, you collect your key data points, and then you can present a page to encourage them to sign up to some of your newsletters or download your app. Um, anything that's valuable to your your engagement strategy yeah. and it's a pretty low commitment as a starting point really isn't it like a, a registration it's not like you're you've baited the hook and then it's like get your wallet out mm -hmm. it's you know what's your email address yeah. or you know sign up for this and that feels a lot more of a realistic ask i suppose from the outset definitely it's like the stepping stone in between um going from no reader revenue model to subscription on the web as a whole um, we're used to giving our email address for so many different things, but not so much in the publishing industry. And maybe now's the time to change that and say, and also be honest with our readers. Like you're, maybe you're not ready to subscribe yet, or you don't have the money to subscribe, but create a free account. We can make the experience better for you. All we need is your email address and, and name, for instance. Um, and you can consume more content and we can monetize at least a bit more from you without you having to pay us money. Yeah, I think you might be right about that because you can't really buy something on the internet without having to sign up. You can't place a takeaway without having to sign up for something. It feels like most things you do now digitally require you to create. You know, mm -hmm. this might be a pain point, you know, to look at it another way, but like having 
another account for something to remember the passwords for. But at the same time, it's kind of normal, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's the point. Yeah. And maybe the solution is that um, as an industry, publishers need to start simple and just say, um, share your email address and really only ask the email address and password or um, very basic first party data points and then do progressive profiling. So you gradually collect more data over time rather than asking for <laughs> your readers to fill out a long form. Don't make it like you're applying for a job might be one way of putting it. Yeah, simplicity is is key in this instance, I think. Simplicity is key. That's a good um, place to leave it, I think, Madeline. Thanks ever so much for jumping on the podcast with us and chatting to us about all your work with the audiences. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. There's a lot to take from today's episode, but if I've learned anything, it's to strike a balance between audience frustration and engagement. The audiences likes to ask small, but get the ask in rather early. One free article to give them a taster, and then they are asked to sign up afterwards. The two exceptions are the contributor articles, which are freely received and given, and the client-exclusive articles, which require readers to commit to wider company services. But you can start to see how there is a lot of testing and tweaking going along, and that too is part of the process. What did you take from today? I'd love to find out. Find me on Twitter slash x at jpgjournalism, or email me on jacob at journalism.co.uk. You can check out all of our other episodes on all your usual podcast platforms, that's SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.